0: Amen. What a what a fun morning! What a great morning to see everyone here and being able to, to use our new building for God's glory. Just what a what a great morning of worship it's been already, and and looking forward to opening God's word with you. And if you would, just turn your Bibles to Genesis twenty-seven with me. And what we're going to do is this is a this is a long story, so I'm going to have you stand for part of it as we read it together in honor of God as we read His word and. Then I'm going to let you sit down, I'm going to continue reading the story, and so I want to read a lot of God's Word to you this morning. And uh, Then when I during the, the message, I won't necessarily be going through everything in chronological order, we'll be talking about some of the characters in the story, so really pay attention to the story uh, now as we read it together and, and get a grasp of what's going on there. Hopefully this is a story that's familiar to you, uh, but if not, uh, I think you'll find it a uh, a very uh, interesting story as we see God at work in life of a family that has some significant issues. And we're going to talk about those this morning. And so if you're there in Genesis 27, if you're able to, if you would stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together. And I'm going to begin in verse 1. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see He called Esau, his older son, and said to him, "'My son,' and he answered, "'Here I am.' He said, "'Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat and that my soul may bless you before I die.'" Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves." And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him, and bring a curse upon myself, and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son, only obey my voice, and go bring them to me. You may be seated as I continue reading here this story. So she's told him to listen to her, to obey his voice. And verse 14, So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son, and the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread, which she had prepared, into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went in to his father and said, "'My father,' and he said, "'Here I am. Who are you, my son?' And Jacob said to his father, "'I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me.' But Isaac said to his son, "'How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son?' He answered, "'Because the Lord your God granted me success.'" May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let the people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently. And he said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him, yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me even also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing." And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me even also, O oh my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your, shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon us and each family here, each individual, we would ask for your special grace upon us. We would ask that you would grant us mercy we do not deserve on the basis of your great name for your glory. Give us us joy in you, and we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, my, my daughter was sitting next to me when I was typing out the title of this week's sermon. I was kind of playing with a couple of titles, and then I typed out, uh, Your Terrible Family and God's Tremendous Grace, and I said, well, Hannah, what do you think? And she says, it seems a little harsh. Um, and I said, what do you know? And she, you know? Which maybe the title could have been Terrible Fathers, but... Um, so well, let, me, let me kind of explain, I thought I'd kind of explain this morning what I'm thinking when I use a title like Your Terrible Family. I mean, the, God's tremendous grace probably isn't that uh, controversial, but what does it mean, Your Terrible Family? A couple thoughts were going through my head as I was thinking about this passage and, and even how it relates to, to me and, and my family. First of all, those of us who are parents want good things for our children. I don't think that's a strange thing to say. And those of you who are parents have, have felt, maybe even as, as I have felt, not just a desire for good things to happen to your kids, but almost, and sometimes even desperation. Like just a, a desperation where you're almost driven to distraction, wanting good things to, to happen to your children. You're kind of concerned, man, what if, what if good things don't happen to my children? What if things go poorly for them? And there's there's kind of this... This sense of, of weight on your soul as you think about your desire for good things to happen to your kids. Just a few nights ago, Whitney and I were, were laying in bed and we were thinking about a specific issue that one of our kids was going through. And we thought, oh, we, have we failed him in this area and we, we should have done this. And, oh, boy, you know, you're just kind of thinking about it. And it wasn't that big of a deal. But, but those of you who are parents, those of you who aren't parents, you, you probably know what I'm talking about, this, this sense of I want desperately for good things to happen for my kids. The problem that we have oftentimes is that we misdefine what good things are, right? When we think about God blessing our children and we think about what the content of that blessing is, sometimes we don't define it very biblically. And In fact, if if you think about uh, your child's future and and you think about good things happening to your, your child, oftentimes you're probably thinking in very unbiblical categories as you think about your ultimate goals for your kids. Maybe you're thinking about um, your child becoming successful financially. You're thinking about their academic success. You're thinking about, boy, I hope that my child does well in terms of other people liking them. And, And those things aren't necessarily bad, but as you think about the the ultimate blessing of God upon your child's life, oftentimes, if you're like me, you think in categories that are not very biblical. Instead, you think about worldly categories of success instead of what God has called our children to and how God defines blessing. Now, how is that important? Why is that important? Because as we wrongly define what God's blessing upon our children looks like, as we wrongly define that, it causes us to pursue ends that are not what God has called them to. Our time, our focus, our passions, our resources are are used to pursue things that are actually leading them further away from the Lord than than closer to him and what God has called them to. The consequences are profound and, and sometimes eternal. And that's what I mean when I talk about terrible family. Not a terrible family in the sense that we are as bad as we possibly could be, but a terrible family in the sense that we aren't pursuing what God has called us ultimately to pursue, and that is Him. To help our children, or ourselves, our wives, all of us see the great beauty and worth of God. In this passage in Genesis 27, we encounter a terrible family. <laughs> a family that is terrible in, in many ways. And yet, despite the fact that we encounter this terrible family, we also encounter God's tremendous grace. We see God practice tremendous grace, show his tremendous blessing upon this family, a terrific grace. And what I want us to talk about this morning is how you and I can pursue God's gracious blessing for ourselves and our families. And it's going to be a little bit family-focused this morning, and hopefully those of you may say, well, this doesn't necessarily exactly apply to me. Hopefully you can see that the broader applications of this. But I want to talk about how we are to pursue God's gracious blessing, God's gracious blessing that is bestowed lavishly on those of us who don't deserve it. Okay, God's gracious blessing— specifically on families, God's gracious blessing that is lavished upon those of us who don't deserve it. And we're going to look at a terrible family and then we're going to see God's grace upon them and kind of have some applications for us. So let's let's first of all, let's talk a little bit about this this terrible family here in Genesis chapter 27. Uh, Each of the members of this family have some issues, some very profound issues. These are not... uh, these are not pleasant people in many ways. This is not a family that you would necessarily hold up to as a model family in terms of how you want your family to look. Each of the members of this family have some very significant issues, beginning with dad. And you look at dad in the first four verses, and, and what do you see here about dad, Isaac, and his issues? Well, you see that Isaac is aging, right? And, and as he ages, he wonders if he's coming to the end of his life, and he recognizes his need to bestow a, a blessing upon his a child before he dies. Now, he's actually going to live sometime longer, but he does what other people in the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, do. Moses gives a blessing before he dies as he ages, and Jacob is going to do this as well. And, and Isaac thinks, okay, maybe I'm coming to the end of my life, and I, I need to give this blessing. Isaac, though, has some issues. We don't encounter a lot about Isaac's inner thinking in the book of Genesis, but when we do, it's often negative. So, for example, in Genesis 26, as it's talking about, or Genesis 25, as it's talking about Isaac and his relationship with his kids, in verse 28, it says, Isaac loved Esau. And why did Isaac love Esau? It wasn't because of anything necessarily about Esau's spiritual state. It certainly wasn't about his winning personality. It says that Isaac loved Esau. Why? because he ate of his game. Isaac is an individual who is controlled by his physical appetites, at least to some degree. He likes the food. Esau provides the food. And so Isaac has this special love for Esau. Now, as we encounter Isaac here in Genesis 27, his aging is affecting all of his senses. As you read through Genesis 27, and you look at Isaac, you see kind of a a sad guy in many ways his eyesight is failing him his uh, sense of hearing is going to fail him as he isn't able to recognize his children's voices his sense of uh, uh, touch betrays him as he touches his children whenever he brings Isaac close to him to kind of or whenever Isaac brings Jacob close to him by the way I'm going to be doing that all morning getting Isaac and Jacob's names mixed up just just go with me right As Isaac brings Jacob close to him and, and smells him, his nose betrays him as he gets that messed up. I mean, uh, his, his taste buds, his sense of taste betray him as he takes the, the stew and doesn't recognize the meat and doesn't recognize that it's uh, Rebecca's cooking on Esau. All of his senses are betraying him, in, including his spiritual senses. We don't know exactly what Rebecca has shared with Isaac about what God said to her, with, with these children. But, but I think it's, it's safe to assume that she knew something, that she had conveyed something. And, and certainly Isaac should have investigated and tried to understand what God would have him do. But here, as we encounter Isaac preparing to give a blessing, we see that he is about to favor Esau over Jacob in a very significant way. You see, it's wrong for a parent to, to favor a child over another child, right? I mean, that's, that's not a very pleasant thing. No one wants to grow up in a home where a mom and dad love this kid and they don't love you. I mean, that's a very unpleasant thing. We were talking about our, our ki- this with our kids last night, and I asked our kids, I said, hey, does it bo- would it bother you guys? If, uh, or or I think I was joking, I said, does does it bother you that we we have a favorite? And uh, one of our kids piped up, well, it doesn't bother me, but it probably bothers them, you know, and that's that's kind of the goal, right? So that's not a pleasant thing. You don't want to grow up in a home where one kid is the favorite and the other kids aren't aren't treated as well. That's bad. That's not a pleasant home. It's a terrible family. But here's what I want you to see. It goes deeper than that. Isaac's issue here isn't just that he likes one kid over the other. Isaac is in danger of blatantly denying the gospel. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, remember, what we've been talking about as we've been going through the book of Genesis, we're talking about gospel foundations. We're saying the gospel of Jesus Christ was promised from the very beginning of the time where humanity sins. In Genesis 3, there's a, a promised deliverer, and Abraham is given this covenant that okay, through your descendants, there's going to be this, this coming deliverer, a savior, the Messiah, and so now... Isaac is part of that line. He knows. Remember, he's been a guy who almost lost his life. He was on an altar. You know, and Abraham says the Lord will provide, and so he's looking forward to the future. Isaac has seen a lot. He knows about the covenant that was made with his father, and he knows that there's a a promised descendant coming through a special line. And I, I believe that Isaac knows that that is Jacob. That God has said it's going to be through Jacob. And now Isaac is trying to get around what God has said, and he is in danger of blatantly denying the gospel as he bestows his blessing upon a son that isn't part of that promised line. Isaac has issues. He has issues with his family. He has issues with God. Rebecca has issues. Rebecca is an incredibly intelligent woman, it looks like. I mean, she has the ability to to know what conversations are going on when. She's a little bit of an eavesdropper. We see her overhearing conversations twice in Genesis 27. But not only does she have the ability to understand what's going on, She's able to read people and she knows what a person's going to do based upon what they say and and she knows uh, how to use her intelligence to manipulate people to get them to act in accordance with what she wants them to do. She's able to to get Jacob to do what she wants him to do. She's able to get Isaac to, to do what she wants him to do. She is a manipulator. In fact, as we look at her talking to her to the people in her family, and in verse 8 and verse 13, when she's talking to Jacob, she'll say, my son, obey me. And so there's this special relationship that she has with Isaac. She calls him her son, and then she says, obey me. Do what I want you to do. She says that, I think, in verse uh, 43 as well. My son, obey me. She is a manipulator. She is a person who is fueling the conflict that exists within her family. She is not living in obedience to God and putting her faith and trust in God to do what he said he's going to do. She's not... Pursuing peace with her husband either. It's a lack of trust regarding God's plan. Jacob has issues. I mean, you look here at verses 14 through 25, and and what do we see about Jacob? Jacob is this, um, he's a dishonest man. I mean, yeah, his mom is encouraging him to do these things, but he has no problem uh, pursuing the path that she's called him to pursue. His only objection is whenever his mom is talking to her, he says, well, hold on, what about, what if I get a curse? What if dad realizes what's going on? His problem is not with the morality of what she's proposing, it's I don't want to get caught and have something worse happen to me. But once he goes along with mom's plan, he is all in. His dad asks, who are you? I'm Esau. How did you find success so quickly? Oh, the Lord your God gave me success. He's not even afraid to invoke God's name in this. Jacob is a, dis- a fundamentally dishonest person. He is a deceiver. He is willing to obtain God's blessing through means that are less than scrupulous, right? He's a person who understands in some sense that there's some sort of blessing here, and he's interested in the physical blessing. He's willing to do wrong things to get it. Esau has issues. At the end of Genesis 26, right before we get to Genesis 27, we see that Esau takes two wives, two Hittite wives, and verse 35 says they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Verse 41, after Esau discovers what's happened, it says that he hates Jacob, and his plan is to kill his brother. Jacob has issues. This is a terrible family. It's a dysfunctional family. It's a family where they are deceiving one another, they're striving to obtain blessing that they're defining in very physical terms. They're a family that's that's motivated by physical appetites, literally, and it causes them to do some very terrible things. Now, God is going to be gracious to them. God is going to be gracious to them, but here's what I want you to see. It's important, and we'll talk about why this is in a moment, but it is vitally important that we acknowledge our issues, that we have issues. It's important that we own the fact that we're terrible. What's happening with this family is is what makes them terrible is, is that they are trying to pursue the blessings that God has promised in a way that's completely contrary to the gospel. They are Isaac is denying the gospel because he wants good things for his son Esau, and so he's willing to deny the gospel and define blessing wrongly. And what we need to acknowledge is that that we have that tendency ourselves. As, As parents, we have a tendency to define blessing in a way that's contrary to what God's word says the blessing is in the gospel, and we define something as having worth other than the person of Jesus Christ. That's a denial of the gospel. We need to own it. We need to recognize our. Issues, and our tendency is to try to, to cover up our issues. This past week, I was looking through uh, my time hop app that kind of shows pictures from from years before, and saw this this uh, great picture, one of my favorite pictures of of me and my daughter Hannah four years ago, and. Uh, we're sitting on a couch, and, and she's looking up at me with just these these loving eyes, and I'm looking at her with my you know kind fatherly uh, face, and as was a candid shot and just a beautiful picture. Loved it. And uh, there's this option on the app to take a you know then and now picture. So we're going to take a now picture. Uh, the now picture is totally staged. I mean, 100 percent, absolutely staged. Where you sit down on the couch and. Uh, Okay, you know, we sit like we were sitting, I look down at her, she looks out at me, and Whitney's going to take the picture, she's trying to find the right angle, and so Hannah and I are just staring, looking at each other very awkwardly, and, and you know, we're smiling, and then we start laughing, and you take the picture, we put it up, and it looks like this beautiful picture, right? Totally staged. It's not reality. Well, it's not totally not reality, but there's other pictures from reality we could have taken, we could have taken a picture where my eyebrows are like this, and I'm looking at her, like, "What's what's going on?" I'm judging you. And there's uh, there's pictures that we could have taken of her where her eyes are looking up into the heavens as she rolls them. You know, I mean, <laughs> I, I asked her if I could say that. We could have taken other pictures of our family. There are other illustrations that I could give of the issues that our family has that would be completely inappropriate because they'd embarrass all of us. The point is, all of us as families have tremendous problems as we deny the gospel, as we define something as having worth, ultimate worth in our lives, something that's different than God, different than the person of Jesus Christ who is the gospel. And, And that's what's happening here. God is so gracious, though, to this family. The temptation that we face is to to act contrary to the gospel, Jesus is of infinite worth, and yet God is gracious to this family who doesn't deserve it. And let's look now at God's tremendous grace, God's tremendous grace. And look at Genesis 27 where it's talking about the blessing. Turn, turn there to uh, verse, about verse 26. Isaac calls his son to come near and, and, and kiss him, and he, he brings Isaac near and he kisses him, he smells him, and, and he begins to, to pray this this prayer of blessing. Now, this prayer of blessing is kind of interesting. Isaac understood the basics of of what his father had taught him, I think, about the Abrahamic covenant. But even as he words it, you see that he words this this blessing very, um, doesn't necessarily talk about the blessings to other nations, but more the, the prominence of, of his line at the expense of other nations. He says, let the people serve you and nations bow down to you. Now, it's, it's true that there's going to be a lordship to this, this promised line, but there's also blessing. In other words, if, if, Jacob, if Isaac had thought rightly about this blessing, he would have realized, okay, there's going to be this, this one who's blessed, but it's not like he's blessed and the other nations are cursed. The other nations are blessed through him. I, Esau could have received blessing through Isaac. Through Jacob, if Isaac had said it rightly. If I could say it rightly. Now, here's, here's the thing. He goes on, and then he gives this very Abrahamic covenant line. He says, Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. And then, uh, immediately, so he finishes speaking. Jacob scurries out of the room, and in comes uh, Esau. Esau. And I love what happens here in verse 33. It says, Isaac trembled. That word trembled, they, they translated there in the ESV, trembled very violently. It, it's, a verb, it's a word that we see in, in other places in, in Scripture as well to describe this, this, uh, this, this feeling of, of intense uh, emotional distress. So, for example, Joseph's brothers trembled violently in Genesis 42, 28 The people in Exodus 19, 16, when they see the the thunder and the lightning and the thick cloud of the mountain, a very loud trumpet blast, the the people respond to seeing this presence of God, the the display of God's glory, they respond by, by trembling. And Isaac here trembles, and I think that he trembles here because he recognizes that God has prevented him from doing something incredibly terrible. We could spend a lot of time talking here about God's sovereignty and human responsibility, God is gracious here to Jacob. God and Isaac. And God here, through Isaac, blesses Esau as well. Isaac trembles and he blesses Esau, invoking this, this blessing upon Esau of God's grace to even Esau. And we see here that people who don't deserve God's grace are receiving it. Is it possible, is it possible that you are rebelling against God as you pursue idolatrous desires for your family? What I want you to see here is, is the gospel at work. There is nothing, as we encounter Isaac and Rebekah, as we encounter Jacob and Esau, there is nothing in and of these characters themselves by which we'd say, you know what? I see how they really deserve God to be gracious to them. Yeah, they, they deserve that one. Isaac, yeah, he deserved God to continue to be gracious to his family. Jacob, I, I could see, what a sweet guy, right? None of the characters in this story deserve God's grace. What is so crucial for you and I to understand is that God's grace, and again, specifically talking about those of us who are parents, God's grace is not bestowed upon children whose parents have earned it for them do you believe that god's grace on your children again i talked about the beginning how desperately we want god's grace on the lives of our children god's grace is not going to be bestowed upon the children of parents who've earned god's grace and so often in our minds we think, boy, if I, if I just do the right things as a parent, God's going to have to be gracious to my children. And we define what God's grace looks like wrongly, and we describe the means by which we receive God's grace wrongly. We do both of those things wrongly. No one in this story deserves God to bestow his grace upon them, and yet he does to each of them in different ways anyway. I was talking about this, this message with... Um, Co-worker here, and and they were talking about how important this passage is, and and they were thinking about the application for for homeschool families. They said this is going to be a a great message for homeschool families, and I said this is going to be a great message. I think I'm going to nail this thing, but um, I did not say that. I said you know as I was thinking about, it, I said you know it, it is true, but I I think I think this is a I think this is good for parents no matter where we find ourselves. And and let's just think about the the process of educating our children. I I was a youth pastor for eight years, and I I stereotyped parents terribly, right? But I I noticed that parents who made different educational decisions for their kids struggled with different idols, right? Different ways in which the gospel was hard for them to apply. So, for example, uh, a parent might choose to a place their child in, in private school, and there were some things that 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 parent might struggle with, for example, they might think well i 'm going to create this i 'm going to create this community that looks like a Christian community, but it's not the church but i 'm going to kind of make it the church and i'm going to kind of funnel all of our desires through this. Through this this private school, I'm gonna I'm gonna trust the private school to create this church-like environment for my kids, and and I'm gonna allow them to receive this the academic and the worldly things that I want them to do, and yet at the same time they're gonna get some spiritual instruction. So we're gonna create this artificial pseudo Christian environment, and that's going to achieve what I want to achieve in my children's lives. And I saw parents who were in the public school struggle with this in different ways. A parent in a public school might say, well, I I want my children to achieve things in this world. I want them to achieve the things in the world that that I love. And so I I think that, uh, you know, if I just get them, uh, you know, the right spiritual influences, but I place them there in a public school and they're going to receive... um, the, I want them to have the popularity of their friends. I want them to look good in the world's eyes. And yet at the same time, I want them to, to love God. And so I want to kind of have the best of both worlds. And so sometimes parents can create those idols in the public school. And, and those who are in the, the homeschooling community see this as well, but just manifest it in different ways. They say, okay, I have this belief that I have this idol of this nuclear family, and I want my family to look a certain way, and I want others to look at my family and see how great my family is. And, and I want these kids to... to, to to be successful by being the smartest or the best in this area. And, and, I, and there's this belief, if I just do, if I do X, then I do Y, then Z is going to result. And I'm going to have this, this, it's this formula. And, and God has to do this because I'm going to work for it. You see what all parents are doing, all of us are doing. All of us are doing this. We have this belief, if I just do this thing and I put my kid in this place and in this situation, I can produce what I want in my child's life. And our understanding of the means and the end are both distorted. They're both distorted. What does the gospel tell us? The gospel tells us that God's blessings are freely, lavishly bestowed on those who don't deserve it. No matter, here's the cool thing too. Here's the cool thing, too. God doesn't just bless the people who get it right, because no one does. For those of us who are are parents this morning, maybe you're discouraged, right? But no matter matter what stage you're at in messing your children up, some of us are just beginning to mess our children up. Some of us have been messing up our children for decades. I mean, no matter what stage you're at in messing up your children, uh, God is still gracious. God is still gracious, Here's, here's the cool thing about this story, too. Here's a kicker. You know how old Jacob and Esau are at this point? They're not 20-year-olds. You do the math, they're in their 70s. <laughs> they're in their 70s. And they're still fighting like this. Isaac is over 100 years old, and, and he's still struggling. What does that mean? It means that we're never beyond God's grace, right? God is continually Continually bestowing his grace upon us, and God can continue to work in the hearts of anyone. Jacob is going to go through a spiritual transformation in his 70s and 80s. Let's talk. Let's talk here for a few minutes about pursuing God's grace for your terrible family, okay? Let's talk about pursuing God's tremendous grace for your terrible family. How do we do this? If we want God's blessing, we, we have to define both what his blessing is, and the means by which we we get there rightly. And first of all, you know, as I think about blessing, I, I would I've been kind of thinking about how to, how does this look like in our cultural context. And sometimes, again, we define what a blessing is wrongly. Here, here's what I think blessing is. I think true blessing is is saying that which is in accordance with God's revealed will. Right. You're as you are praying a blessing upon someone what you're doing is you're, you're play, praying for god's favor upon a person that's in conjunction with what he's revealed in his will god we talked about this tension between sovereignty responsibility god uses his instruments and we as parents just for example are, are the means by which god uses to affirm his truth in our children's lives as we pray blessing upon them We say, okay i'm going to I'm going to take my child, I'm going to pray these biblical prayers over them, and it's not that the prayers are these magical formulas, but what I'm doing is I'm affirming what God has revealed in His Word, and I want these things to be true in the lives of my children. So how do we do that? How do we pursue God's blessing for my children? And again, you can take this and you can apply it broader than kids, but I think it's important to think about families this morning. So, one, as I think about pursuing God's blessing, I need to repent of man-centered goals for my family. As I think about what I want for my family, and I, think, I think what God wants, I need to say, okay, some of the goals that I've had for my kids are not necessarily bad goals, but they've kept me from that, which is the ultimate goal, and I need to repent of that. So one, I, I repent of man-centered goals. Two, I need to study God's revealed will, his revealed word, to understand who receives his blessing and, and who doesn't. Psalm 145, 15 says, blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall, blessed are the people." whose God is the Lord. And so I recognize, look, the, the blessings that God promises only happen in Christ when I'm in him and receive his new life. A blessing cannot occur from apart from that. And so that kind of brings up the third thing. What do I do? I, I pray for my children. I pray for others in keeping with God's word for blessing. And you should have received this as you come in, came in, or you can receive it as you, you go out. I kind of just, um, based upon a couple different articles I was reading there's this uh kind of a front and back sheet of paper that says prayer for God's blessing on my children and uh, these are some things that I begin to pray for my children in their lives and encourage you to to pray these things for your kids as well and just just couple of examples here of what does it mean to pray God's blessing upon my children to have the right goal and the right means well what it means is this I pray for my children number one I'm praying that Jesus will call my children and and no one will hinder them from coming to him I, it means that I'm praying that they will respond to faith in God's faithful and persistent call it means that I, I'm praying that my children will love God's word first Peter 2 that our children would long for the pure spiritual milk of the word that by it you may grow up into salvation. I'm praying for my children that they will increasingly desire to fulfill the greatest commandments. The greatest commandments are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and to love your neighbors yourself. If I can, can pray that over my children, my children will love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, strength, and then they'll love others like they love themselves. So much of the problems in their lives can be avoided. I pray that my children would not be, uh, be deceived by sin, that their hearts would be soft, Hebrews 3.13. I pray that they'd have wisdom and discernment as they make decisions. James one five promises that to us. I pray that they would fear God and turn away from evil, that God would raise up godly influences for them and that they would be godly influences to others. Philippians 7 talks about the hearts of the saints being refreshed through you, that they would be thankful, Colossians 3.15. The peace of Christ, rule in your heart, to which you were called in one body, and be thankful. That my children would worship, I pray, God in spirit and in truth. That they live their lives in light of Christ's return and in eternity. That they would understand the truth of Philippians three twenty, that our citizenship is in heaven. And they would live waiting for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that my children would keep their thoughts pure, Philippians 4, 8. That they would think about those things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely commendable those things that are worthy of praise i pray that my children would be convicted by sin and confess it to god and others that that sin would find them out that my children would not be tempted to to hide sin and and suppress it and conceal it but but god would allow them to confess it to him and provide other people around them to whom that they could confess sins to that god would prepare their future spouses if that's his plan for them that my children work, would work hard to the glory of God, that they would not love the world or the things of the world, that they would be generous givers to the Lord's work and others, that they would walk with God all the days of their lives, as the psalmist says in Psalm 23, 6. And finally, and this is, this is where it gets hard, right? This is where, this is probably the, the toughest prayer for a parent to pray, that God would take them and make disciples of all nations with them, right? Because what does that mean that I'm praying? It means I'm turning them over. And just like my, my children can love the things of the world and say, okay, I want to I have my own goals and I can think that I want happy things for my kids. What, what do I do when I pray this? I say, I'm opening up my hands. I'm saying, okay, God, these, even my children aren't mine, but they're yours. How can we pray these things? How can we pray these things? Only by God's grace. We pursue God's gracious blessing. And we pursue this this blessing that God doesn't lavish on those who deserve the blessing, but, but a blessing that God lavishes on those of us who don't. Only those, only those who don't deserve it receive God's blessing. Maybe theoretically, maybe theoretically, if there was some perfect parent out there that could do everything exactly right, maybe then, But not even then, right? Because we have a perfect Heavenly Father, and yet we still don't turn out the way we're supposed to. Good news of the gospel. Through Jesus Christ, through this promised seed, through Abraham's line, the blessing comes. The blessing for each of us we pursue by God's grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for uh, your grace to us. We thank you for the the children whom you've provided us. We pray that you would give them special grace, and we pray that you would uh, love them in ways that we're not able to. We pray, Father, for our our kids, that their hearts would be uh, soft toward you. We pray all these things for them, that you would call them to yourself, that you would call them to know you, and and that their hearts would would uh, love you, and then their hearts would would love others because of their love for you. We pray for your great grace in our lives as parents and as as children, as individuals, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.